Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open up to Revelation chapter 6. If you're visiting with us, we're doing a thematic study of the book of Revelation. And what that just means is we're not covering every single topic, but we've been going through so far, really, chapter by chapter. We looked at the introduction uh, where John just sees Jesus high and lifted up and glorified, and we have this beautiful description, and then into the seven churches, which we went through each church individually. And then uh, I was away for a couple of weeks, and the preaching schedule got a little mixed up, to be honest with you, just because Dr. Downs preached one Sunday, and Dennis preached one Sunday. And so, as it would be, Rich got to preach on the throne and the Lamb, and I come back to judgment. So... Boy, it does not seem fair, but we're jumping into this theme, which is a big part of Revelation, these judgments. And we are looking at this thematically. We want to understand judgment in a broader sense. And here's where we get into Revelation, and I already said I wasn't going to do this, so don't get your hopes up, because I'm, I'm not going to do it. This is where we get all these maps, where people say, well, this is where the seven seals are, and here's where the seven trumpets are, and these are the seven signs, and here's the wrath, the bulls, and all this kind of stuff. And they lay this out on a map, and, and I'm just telling you, I've got like a stack of commentaries, okay? Really, just PhD, smart people, Bible scholars, and I'm studying these passages, and not one of them agrees with the other. And, I, and so we've got people that say, these judgments are past, these judgments are present, these judgments are future, and we've just kind of said, yeah, they, they represent all those things, but we, I want to just grab just kind of, instead of all these hows, right? Here's how it's going to happen. Russia's going to come over here. Here's the Antichrist. And this, instead of those maps, instead of the hows that you all want me to fill in, I want to talk a little bit about the whys. Why do we have these judgments? Why is this happening? And so what? What does it mean for us? So here's our outline today. I'm going to give you some hows, okay? And then we're going to talk about the why, and that's going to be really the emphasis, the why these judgments, and then some so what. Um, and I'm going to start with a trivia question. So I'm preparing this week. I had a long drive on Monday. I went to meet with a friend in Medford, and, uh, and I was trying to prepare also, and so I was listening to some of my favorite podcasts, uh, Bible Project being one of them, and they did a series on, on the wrath of God and judgments and different things. So I was listening to it, and they had this question. I'll just tell you right now, the pastor got the question wrong. Okay, and so here's my trivia question for you. I'm not going to answer it till the end. Okay, don't shout it out if you know it. When is the first time that God is angry in the Bible? Okay, not when you think he's angry, but when the, the Bible actually records him as being angry. The Hebrew is that his nose was hot. Okay, his nose was hot. The first time God's nose was hot. Okay, think about that. We're going to get to it. Uh, and just and just a little bit. So let's jump in. We're in uh, Revelation chapter six. Okay, so we're still kind of staying chapter by chapter here. And I just want to read this. This is kind of the introductions to these judgments. Some people see these seals as separate. Uh, some people see them as the opening of the other two things, being the the trumpets and the the bowls being the focus. Some people see these as as all being the same thing. Let's just jump in just by introduction to these judgments. Okay, remember we just left the, the throne and the Lamb in chapter 5. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. Remember, nobody was found worthy to open it until Jesus, right, who lived the perfect life, who, who was our sacrifice. He was found to be worthy. 
He said, so I, so I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature say, come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so the people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard a third living creature say, what? Come. And, and I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. Just, just for background, I know some, some terminology here. Uh, a denarii was about a day's wage. And, um, and so um, a quart of wheat would probably feed a person for a day. So a day's wage to, f- to feed you that day. Okay? And then the, the, the quart of barley uh, for lesser, uh, poorer folks, okay? Not the good stuff, secondhand stuff, okay? That might take care of a family, okay? So you work a day, you feed your family for the day. Hard to pay rent on that, right? Okay, just getting the picture of what's going there. It's famine. Um, verse 9. Sorry, verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, thank you, I heard of the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. It could also be kind of greenish color. And the writer's name was Death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black and sack, uh, as sackcloth. The, uh, the full moon became like blood, And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that had been rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the king of the earth and the great ones of the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves and among the rocks and the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, who can stand? Um, wow, there's just a lot in there. So let me just step back for a little bit, and let me just talk a little bit about the how of God's judgments. God's judgments, as we look at judgments in the whole of Scripture, when we look at the idea of God judging, God's judgments are more of a giving over than a coming down. Now, what, 
we could almost use the phrase natural consequence. In other words, it's just what happens when you run away from God. Okay, you, you kind of meet your end in what life you are living more than it is God zapping you, which I know is the picture that most of us have. Okay, and so let me just give you an example of that just real quickly. From Romans chapter 1, Paul is picking up on a terminology from the Old Testament uh, that God gave them over. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 24, let me just read a few verses. You can just listen. Therefore, God gave them up or gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Notice he said he just gave them over to that. Okay, Um, verse 26, for this reason God gave them over to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those uh, contrary to nature and likewise the men. And then again in verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up or gave them over. And this is really just a picture of God just saying, you've made your choice. Okay, I'm going to give you over to that, okay? Now, we've all done this on way lesser degrees, right? Sometimes when our kids are little um, and they're making a choice and you know how it's going to end, sometimes you go, okay, why don't you give that a try? And you're kind of hoping, right? You're, I hope you do it. <laughs> That's not what God's doing here, but in a sense, God's just saying, let's just let the natural consequences fall as they may. So sometimes God just gives us over. Now, um, we can see that a little bit uh, in this passage. The, it's not like this, this picture here is, is these things that happen, okay? You can, we're going to look at the pattern here, and you go, okay, this happens, and that happens, and yeah, that's what usually what happens after. It's just kind of a natural progression here. The second thing, just by way of introduction to judgment, it's a more of a removal of God's protection than a direct action. Uh, one of the biggest judgments that we see early on in the Old Testament uh, is the flood. And there's really a picture there in the flood, and you see in the creation story, one of the, the days of creation, God separated the waters from the water. Okay, that's, have you ever tried to do that? Okay, it's a God thing. Right, he separates the water from the water, he creates land. Beautiful thing, we get to the flood, And what do we have in the flood? We just have the waters and the waters reconnecting. And it's kind of an interesting picture there. God just says, this is not going the right way. Let's just fast forward this to its natural end. Let's let's recreate. Let's redo this. Okay? And so a lot of times what we have is the removal of God's protection, which is very much a theme in Revelation. Okay? So look at this first seal. Now I watched, and the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. Now I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice, Come, look, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow. Now there's some debate about who the rider is here. In fact, some people want to make this Jesus, because we see Jesus on a white horse in Revelation 19. This is not the same picture here. Okay, notice, this is key, verse 2, the white horse and the rider had a bow and a crown was given to him. Okay? Jesus already got the crown. This is an anti-type of Christ here who is given some power. 
And what is the power to do? To conquer. And I love the way the ESV has it here. And he came conquering and to conquer. You get the the picture here? Okay, so that's the first seal. The second seal is opened, and we have a, we have a, I forgot the color of the horse. I got to hear my notes. What do we got here? Uh, red horse. And just, just by way of, you, you have to sometimes read these as, as the first readers, okay? The seven churches. Remember, we looked at the seven churches, and God said, here's some good things, here's some bad things. Some of you, here's just some bad things, and repent, and the time is coming, and all this kind of stuff. And then we get to the, we get to the whoa, the throne, and, and the lamb, the stuff that Rich got to preach on. And we come to these judgments. And we're talking about sword, famine, pestilence, wild beasts. They're not sitting around going, hey, do you think the red horse is Russia or China? I mean, that's, that's the last thing from their minds. I'm a little concerned about the famine, pestilence, wild beasts. Okay, and so... We, we look at this, and what, what happens is there's their conquering coming out, and the second one, war, is coming out. Now, what's interesting here is, you, you know what? If you've got somebody who's going to be the leader, this guy on the white horse, and he's going to come to conquer, how do leaders conquer? Well, they get the average Joe into an army, and they send them out to do the dirty work, don't they? And so now, we've got war. Wars and rumors of wars. That's what we have. We'll get to Matthew chapter 24 in a little bit. And so there's, there's the second horse. It actually kind of fits. It makes sense. The third horse comes out. It's a black, black horse, or uh, the red horse is this removal of peace. We have war. The, the black horse, there's a financial resort. What, what happens when war breaks out? Everybody's broke. Everybody's broke. Don't worry on the slides. There's nothing. We don't, this is just, it's okay. This is just for your, I, didn't, I, I wasn't giving you any maps, so you don't get the seals. You just have to listen. And so the, the black horse, there's a financial result. People are broke. What happens when there's a bunch of war in the country? It's financial disaster. You could almost like, this is just history. And so there's a strong relationship between the first three seals. Someone... Given authority to conquer, the average go goes out, does the military, peace is removed, and what happens as a result of war? Financial ruin, probably on both parties. Then we have a pale horse. Now we have sword and famine and pestilence. That's what happens during times of hard financial crisis. Diseases break out. People start robbing each other. And even the beasts are hungry. And then the picture kind of just goes widescreen. And we're reminded of God's people who've been persecuted. And their picture is one of prayer, of lament. When will we see justice? King of kings, Lord of lords. And Jesus says, wait. Rest a little longer. Wait. It's not complete yet. And then we open up the seventh seal. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't sound like there's much left after that, right? The mountains are crashing in. 
one of the commentators that uh, I was reading was kind of interesting. He uh, wrote this whole commentary on Revelation, and uh, he was teaching a series about Revelation in Hawaii. He said, these passages really got their attention. What do you mean? The, what do you mean the mountains are crashing? This, I mean, this is scary stuff if you live on an island. Okay, and so there's really kind of this, this picture here. It's very um, Isaiah-esque, Isaiah chapter 34 uh, to be exact. You have this picture, um, and we have the, the scroll being rolled up. That's a part of, is it Amazing Grace where that, that picture comes in? Just all these, these imageries from Isaiah chapter 34. So those are some of the how. The house of God's judgment is more of a giving over. It's more of a removal of God's protection. And then third, more of a warning for God's people than a message for the lost. Um, in Matthew chapter 24, and I just want to read parts of this just because it just seems almost like John is borrowing some of these words. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to a point out some of the buildings of the temple but he answered them, you see all these, do you? Uh, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be one left here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when these things will be and what will be the signs of the coming and the end of, your age, at the end of age. And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will be led many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and, and, they will be, uh, and you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false witnesses will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness will, in, will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Then the end will come. And, and there's three things that Jesus says in here, just kind of as this reminder of these wars and different things. He says, first of all, don't let anybody lead you astray. See to it that nobody leads you astray. And it's really hard when things get difficult and people say, well, where is God in all this? And you go, well, it's not surprising. See to it that no one leads you astray. Second, Jesus says, and we're reminded, see to it that, no, that you're not surprised. Don't be surprised by these things. Now, there's two ways to react to this. And, and it's just so many, it's so interesting how we look at this. Some people see things getting bad, and I hear this a lot in Baptist churches, and it's like, well, the end is coming, and it's almost like we like it. Here it comes, it's getting worse, Jesus is coming. It's, that's not supposed to be our attitude. Okay, We're not supposed to light the place on fire and quietly walk away. Okay, and so, But we also shouldn't be surprised. And then third, he says, continue in the gospel. The gospel needs to be preached. Continue in that. And so, remember, this is written to the churches, and we're seeing what's about to come, and, and it's not pretty, but the whole point of this for the churches is that we're not surprised that we keep on mission, that, that we keep, uh, we're not led astray by these things. Which leads us to this why of God's judgments. 
Sometimes when we read these passages, um, I think there's a sense of, oh, good. Love to see evil getting it. They're getting it. You know, it's like at the end of the movie when the hero gets up. He's like, oh, oh, there's going to be a reckoning, right? We, we love the old westerns. I thought he was down. Oh, he's up again. The hero is up. He's got his hat on. He's got his gun. Hold on a second. Let's remember what the Bible says about the character of God. Look at this verse from Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? God doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. And I would, I would say then we probably shouldn't either. So let's be careful here. So these judgments remind us today, church, to wait on God. Boy, that's just not a fun sermon. Wait. Wait on God. Now that's not an inactive, hide-out type of waiting. It's the type of waiting that because we know what's at the end, because we know what's going to happen, we are actively involved. Because we know the end, it enables us to be bold in our faith, radical and faithful to in our faith, because we know how the story ends. We, we jump to the end and we can, we can be bold in it. We, we can be excited because we know Jesus is coming and he's going to deal with sin. There's, the great thing about the Bible is it gives us a whole worldview. We're created in the image of God, in his image. But why are we all so messed up? Because we chose to rebel against him and decide good and evil on our own. And because of that, the wrath of God, we're, we're being judged for sin. He's, he is angry at that. And there's an end coming where because of Jesus' death and resurrection, he is going to save those who have faith in him and he's going to take care of the details. And we just get to be on mission and excited for him. And so we can wait actively. And in a sense, what comes after Revelation chapter 6 is an answer to the prayers of his people. When will justice come? Wait, but it's coming. God is answering the prayers. And so we wait on God, okay, or as, as Jesus said to his servants, rest. Rest a little while. Wait. Second, we're to trust in God. It's a really interesting ending and just a beautiful, uh, beautiful piece of literature here. Just look at the last verse. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? Question mark. Now, my, my Bible needs, I, there's a literal page turner there. Who could stand? Chapter 7. The faithful, the 144,000, which, by the way, is a figurative number. It's not literal because he goes on and say, every tribe and nation who have trusted in Jesus, who can stand? Next chapter answers that. But that's not the sermon for today. But do you see, do you see where the, we're trusting in God? We're trusting in his timing. Not always a fun process but we're trusting in his timing. 
We're trusting in his justice. Friend, there's a lot of hurts in this world. Injustices. Things that wicked people have done to good people. Things that were unfair. People who seemingly to us left too early. Hurts. And, you know, at some point, we have to say, I'm going to let Jesus take care of that. I'm going to let Jesus deal with that. You know what? Because if we do it, it's just going to destroy us. It's just going to destroy us. There's a little folk song that my, my wife listens to, a group that she likes, and we've always kind of laughed about one of the lines. And, and in it, one of the, uh, what the singer is talking about if something happened to him. If I, if I die in the city, he says. He says, don't go vengeance in my name. One death is plenty. It's just kind of this, you know, you know if something bad happens to me, don't, don't go vengeance. And his answer is, Go read the letter in my desk. Make sure my mom knows I love her and my sister the same. What a great attitude. And I kind of joke with her. I go, you know what, hon? Maybe you should go vengeance in my name. I don't know, you know? It kind of sounds good. Right? I mean, we kind of want that, don't we? But what's it get us? It doesn't get us anything. And so... Look, we, we got to wait on God's timing and we got tr- to trust in his justice. And third, we trust in his salvation. His timing, his justice, and third, his salvation. Let me just read this again. Just listen. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the soul's of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had done. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They were given a white robe. I get those at hotels all the time. Aren't those free, those things that hang up in the hotel, right? Just, those are free, right? That's not the picture here. White, purity, forgiven, long robe, position of authority, leadership, and honor. Yes, God says rest a little while. Judgment is is still coming. But what does he do? It's just a picture of salvation. You've been saved. You've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And you sit in a place of honor. Not to mention they were just... Did you notice their prayers? Their prayers are a little different than ours, right? They're praying in heaven. 
And what is it? It's conversation. It's pretty cool. We have to wait on his salvation. And Christian, it's whole and complete and good. The why of God's judgments, we wait on God, we trust in God, and third, we embrace God's will. We embrace God's will. Um, you know, uh, I hope that you have been as impacted by Dennis's preaching and seminar as I have. Um, and I, I mean, I just try to focus in um, on those, that pattern and those prayers. And I just, I mean, I've been doing it before, but it just in a new and a fresh way. And it's just been really, just really good. And where do you, if you start in all this thing, hallowed be your name. So I pray, hallowed be your name. And what, what am I saying there? I, when I'm praying, hallowed be, be your name, I'm praying that God gets the glory. And here's an interesting thing in here. We have all these judgments. Why? Just flip over a few pages to chapter 14. And we're going to look at um, verse 7. Chapter 14, verse 7. Why these judgments? Here it is. And he said, with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgments has come. What's the point of God's judgments? It's his glory. God's glory. And I, I, don't, I mean, we can't focus on that enough. How would be your name? God, I want, I want your name to be glorified. I pray your kingdom come. What is that? What are we talking about? The kingdom of God? We're talking about the mission. Uh, how we're supposed to live. How we're supposed to treat one another. And so in the midst of all this stuff, we say, man, I want to make sure that, God, that I'm embracing God's will, that he's glorified, that his mission is being accomplished, and I pray your will be done. And I, I appreciated Dennis's focus as we looked at that, he's talking about there's, there's parts of God's will that have already been revealed. Pray those things. And what is that? That I become more and more like the person of Jesus Christ. It's the character of God. And so we look at their, these judgments, and there's a, there's a purpose. So the so what? So what of God's judgments? All right, I left you hanging here. You, you already forgot about it. When's the, when's the first time... That God's nose got hot. It's not after the fall. In fact, there's no, no record of God getting angry there. He just takes care of the situation. Okay, how many of you thought the flood? Oh, no, we got a few, okay. God is grieved. He's sad at the flood. The first time that God's nose gets hot, is at Moses. Got it? It's at Moses. Go to, go, go to my people. Well, I'm not a good speaker. Aaron's better. They won't know your name. Right? He's got all these excuses. Finally, God's nose got hot. Like, it's mad. Isn't it interesting? All the stuff. We get all the way through Genesis. We don't get to Exodus until God gets angry. And who's he angry at? One of his own people. The greatest servants of the Bible. All right, Moses, you're starting to tick me off here. 
Just do what I said to do. Isn't that interesting? And that's actually a principle from God's word. The judgment of God begins with his people. Look at this verse in 1 Peter. Um, For it is time for the judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And where did the judgments in Revelation start? Seven churches. Start with God's people. Here's the pattern. And again, at the center of God's judgment is his glory. And I, I just, I wanted to, I know I, I said that same point twice, and, you know, probably because it's important. Um, at the end of Isaiah, um, we have this uh, picture, Isaiah chapter 66. And I, just let me get this picture again. Uh, in, in verse 15, it says, For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like a whirlwind, to render his anger in fury, and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by his sword with all flesh, all those slain by the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens, following one in the midst, eating pig's flesh and abomination and, and mice, shall come and end together, declares the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and they shall see my glory. That is the point. The point of God's judgment is not so you can pin an end times chart on your wall. It's so that you will see the glory of God. That you will see His majesty and His holiness. That He will be high and lifted up. And you say, sometimes it makes me feel like this big. Good. Then bow your knee before the King of kings and the Lord of lords because He is holy and lifted up. You know, so many times, God's glory just just slips our mind. It just kind of, we talk about it in church, we go, oh yeah, chief end man, glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yeah, we got to glorify God, but then somebody cuts us off. Somebody offends us. And I would just ask, when your nose is hot, when your nose is hot, is it because God's glory has been taken into account or because your glory has been taken into account? When, when your nose gets hot, is it because someone didn't see God properly or because they didn't see you properly? When your nose is hot, is it hot because someone is attacking God's kingdom? Or because somebody's attacking your kingdom? But we all have a kingdom. God's glory. 
the judgment of God actually will either bring you closer to his presence or further from his presence. That's the point. Separating the sheep and the goat in Matthew chapter 24, it's the picture. Um, If you're a child of God and God's judgment is coming, you are going closer to God. If you are not one of his children, in the end of this chapter, you're hiding in a cave, wishing the cave would crash in on you. That's the picture here. When a holy God shows up, what's your response? And so the application for this morning, don't delight in God's judgment of others. It's pretty simple. And you go, I don't, do I do that? Come on, have you ever ever had the picture? And I hope that person gets theirs. I think the best picture of it, we do it in a much more detailed way, but is in the, the Christmas story, the little boy. Mom washes his mouth out with soap. He has, a little, he has a little daydream. He went blind because of soap poisoning. Right? And he's, he's standing in front of his mom. What is it? What happened? How, what, what, what brought this terrible tragedy on you, my son? And the little boy's just, yeah, it's soap poisoning, Mom. It's you. Feel bad. Man, how many times have we wished soap poisoning on somebody else? Oh, man, I hope they get theirs. Let's not revel in God's judgment. Let's revel in his grace. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this not of your own. You didn't do it. Man, don't delight in the judgment of others. Second, allow God's judgment to help you trust in him today. Look, the whole point of this is that God's got the end taken care of. You don't have to worry about that. I don't know. Rich is probably facing this. The one part I just, I don't miss of being a youth pastor. I'm sure this doesn't happen. Rich probably never has to face this. But you'd be on a trip doing, doing one of these week trips. I didn't do hikes, but you know, you're on, you're on the camp, and you have a little kid come up to you. Pastor Dave, Pastor Dave, what are we going to do today? Oh, I got it taken care of. We're going to eat? When are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? What are we going to eat today? What is this game today? Are we going to play a night game tonight? Are we going to do that? Oh. Like, I have planned the whole week, so all you have to do is enjoy it. And some of you know who you are. You can't enjoy something unless you know what is happening the next minute. Because I guarantee you, and when I gave, when I just, in the midst of, I, I had some really snarky comebacks, but some kid would really get to me like, we're having pancakes, all right? Are we having bacon with it? It's just, oh! There's never enough. The answer is never enough. I'm just telling you what. God has it taken care of. He's driving the... Well, bus is a bad illustration now. Sorry. (laughs) Right? He's in charge. He doesn't need your help. No backseat drivers. You get to be part of the mission. You get to use your gifts. You get to share people about Jesus. But, man... Just trust him. 
And, I, and just as a church, as individuals, as your family, and I hope that you've been, been praying the Lord's Prayer every day, as Dennis encourages us to do. And I, just, I want you to just focus this week on this idea of hallowed be your name. Can you just, can you just lean into that this week? And here's, and he just, you know, I, I don't need to tell you this, but just be specific. God, may your name be honored in my words. May your name be honored in our marriage. May your name be honored in my checkbook. May your name be honored in my relationship with my family and even that family member that you're thinking about right now. May your name be honored in my church, in my community. God, may your, can you just lean into that prayer. It's the point of the judgments is that God be glorified and that you wait and trust in him. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for this morning. Thank you that we can uh, come into your word, into your house, um, as family, and, and Lord, we pray that we just pray that you'd be glorified. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Just in, in the moments that we just just sit here, just in the quietness of your heart. Can you just, just pray to the Lord two or three ways that you want to see him honored in your life this week? Just begin that prayer. I'll start it. You just, in your heart, you just say it. You don't have to say it out loud. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. God, may your name be lifted up. God, may we be sensitive this week to the glory of God and the purpose of your will that your name might be lifted up. God, even in judgment, even in, in the, the mountains crushing down, the sun turning black, the, the moon as blood. May it be for your glory. May you be high and lifted up. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.